so that we can uh, do two Christmas sermons and then one that's focused on uh, kind of New Year's um, as we have that opportunity, I think, on the 27th. And uh, so this week we are going to be diving into a very well-known passage um, that we read a lot at Christmas times. It's in many Christmas plays um, and we probably read it to our families on Christmas morning or whatever it is like that. But we are looking at Luke chapter 2. And you guys can go ahead and turn over to that. Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a look at our Savior's birth. And the first folks that came to witness uh, this very special birth of our Lord. And so, uh, if you'll stand with me, uh, we're going to read God's Word. uh, God's holy and timely Word. We need it. Uh, Just like we need prayer, uh, we need to be fed by His Word. So let's stand and read. Um, starting in verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and we will go down to verse 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Praise God for the reading of his word and the preaching of his word. You guys can take a seat. This morning as we begin... I want us to think about news, good news, bad news, indifferent news, news, okay? And first, I want us to think about good news. So what, for example, I want you guys to think, don't answer this out loud, but think about it in your heads, what is the best news that you have ever heard? I mean, obviously, besides the gospel, think about it. In your life, what is the best news that you've ever heard about? Maybe it's... um, You know, there's a possibility of something coming back as cancer. And your doctor calls you and says, guess what? It's not cancerous. It's benign. Or maybe it's uh, some some illness, a mystery illness, in which you've been having tests for a period of time, and the doctor says, there's a cure. There's a cure for this illness that has been debilitating to your life. Maybe it's someone has agreed to pay off your burdening credit card debt or school loans. Right, that you've been struggling to pay off year after year after year, and someone says, I'm going to pay off your loans. That'd be good news, right? Very good news. 
But what makes good news good news? Well, some would say it's bad news. Bad news makes the good news all the more better. Well, we were at an event this past week, me and Dave and Jamie, um, and it was an event here in Atlantic City. This organization called Free Press um, was basically putting on this event to help the relationship between journalists and also their community. And so they were particularly focusing here on Atlantic City. And you know what they said was that bad news sells, and it sells well, right? We all know that. Bad news sells, and every day we open up the newspaper or turn on the television, we see bad news primarily dominating the news. Shootings, drug busts, young men being taken off to jail in handcuffs. And as he, they said, it may sell, but we know there are plenty of good stories happening in Atlantic City that we want to tell. And as a church working in Atlantic City, we want to amen that. We say God is at work. He is doing things in this city that we want to be made known to the rest of the world. Not just drug bust, not just you know, women growing up and, and, and being single moms. Whatever it is, not just those things. But that good things that God is doing in and throughout the community. And so this event was aimed at trying to tell some of those stories. But they agreed that uh, we are bombarded with bad news everywhere we turn. Whether it's the casinos or, or profits going down or whatever it is. And that good news is scarce. You know, some mornings it's hard for me to turn on the radio as I go to work or turn on the the TV to watch the news because I just don't want to do it again. I just don't want to turn and and hear about this or that or this, whatever the news has to say. It's too depressing. I'd rather just turn on the music because at least that's a little bit better, a little bit more uplifting. And I imagine that where we find ourselves today with the bad news is not all that different from where the folks in our story were many, many years ago. The shepherds and Mary and Joseph and everybody else, they had a lot of bad news. Taxes that were rising, turmoil in their country, persecution by their government. Bad things were happening in their lives, just like in our lives today. Maybe for their press, bad news was dominating and reigning. But, As we see today in our text, that good news was on the horizon from the most unlikely of places in the most unlikely way. News about a baby boy who would be born in a manger who would flip the whole world upside down. And see, there's one one big idea that I want to explore today as we look at Luke 2, and it's this, that Jesus, the baby born in these humble beginnings, a manger in Bethlehem, He is the Savior and the bringer of peace for all who would believe in him. We will see that throughout the text, that he is the Savior and the bringer of peace for all that would believe, all that would trust in him. And so with this in mind, let's turn our attentions back to the story of the shepherds and the angels and the birth of our king and see what the Lord might have us learn this morning. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the king of the kingdom. The king of the kingdom. As we read moments ago, this scene is set where the shepherds are doing their job. They're watching over their flocks by night. Making sure that nothing attacks their flocks. And so they are there safely. And then something glorious happens. 
a shining bright light, and an angel appear with a glorious message, very, very good news. And it's through this angel's pronouncement, and subsequently the heavens, heavenly host and their pronouncement, where we learn about this king who would bring peace on earth. So let's take, take an, another look at this. Verse 10 through uh, 12. Let me read it again for us. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so the angel, he gives us two titles, as it were, for Jesus. And remember, just like um, today in our world, titles kind of tell something about us, right? Maybe you have a title of of a doctor, right? Or maybe you have a title of um, an attorney or a pastor or a mom or a dad or whatever it is, the titles that you may have. And these titles, they tell something about who we are. The same is true for Jesus here. The first title that he is given is a savior. Now it may go without saying, but what does a savior do? He saves people, right? A savior saves people. Whether it's from a burning building and a fire going on and a fireman comes and saves somebody. Or maybe it's uh, uh, police officers who save people from a terrorist on a rampage. Or maybe it's someone who comes and helps a person who is continually being abused by their spouse and saving them from that situation. Saviors save by very definition. That is what they do. Now, as as I was thinking about this and and thinking about their reaction and, and how they reacted to the announcement of a Savior, there was one thing that kind of came to my mind. And it's this, that if you really believe, or if, sorry, if you don't believe that you need to be saved from your sins, if you do not believe that you are at war with God, unless you have trusted in Jesus, unless you have been clothed with his righteousness, then the message of a Savior isn't going to be all that great for you. If you don't believe that you are dead in your sins, no hope of being made right with God, That his wrath is upon you. That you are to be judged for your sins. If you don't believe that to be true, then the news of a Savior is not going to be good news. For the shepherds to glorify and praise God, and for Mary to treasure up all these things in her heart, for the others to be amazed at what went on, they needed to believe that they needed saving. They had to believe in their hearts that they themselves, personally, I, need to be saved from the trouble that I am in. Otherwise, it would just be a cute story that we tell at Christmas times, right? Or it's, it's something that we do, that our children do in a play, or that we watch on Charlie Brown Christmas where he reads the Christmas story. It's just a cute story that we tell our kids at Christmas time. No different from Santa Claus or no different from uh, any other movie or, or, or fairy tale that we tell. If you or I find ourselves at Christmas time not being really moved by the reminder that Jesus came 
to the earth as a savior to save us from our sins, then maybe we don't really believe that we need to be saved. Maybe we believe that we need a better life, that there are things that need to be changed in our life to increase our happiness. Maybe we believe that we need a better us, a better you. Maybe I need to be fixed up. Maybe it's my, um, my self-image, or maybe it's the way that I look. I need to fix things. Or maybe it's a more meaningful and significant life, but not being saved from our sins. See, if we think those things are the biggest problems in our lives, the things that keep us up at night, the things that we think about all the time, if that's the biggest problem, then this news is not going to be good news for you. It's not making your life any better. It's not helping you with your looks or with your boyfriend or girlfriend problems. It's not helping you with your housing or whatever it is like that. Unless you believe that you need to be saved from your sins. And I think God is calling us to check our hearts here. Because if we really realized our sin and the problem that that was, we would see this as glorious and good news, just like the shepherds. And what we would do is we would marvel. We would be amazed. We would glorify and praise God just like these folks did on that night many, many years ago. Well, the second title, we've seen Savior. The second title is Christ the Lord. And that's really two titles because the first one, Christ, really talks about God or Jesus as the anointed one or Messiah. And then Lord speaks to his kingship or his being the boss in the best possible way of our lives. That he is in charge, that he is bringing and ushering a kingdom into this world Something that we've talked about over and over and over again if we studied the book of Matthew. That Jesus is the king of a kingdom. And that he is ushering in this kingdom using people like you and me, ironically, to bring in this kingdom. And he is the king. He is Christ the Lord bringing in the kingdom. And you know, there's one last thing as we look at these titles that's really important for us. Think about the scene here. Think about what's going on. Put yourself in this situation. We've done all this learning about who this king is, how great he is. He's king over all the earth. Everything is his. And yet, where is he born? And how was he born? He is born in a manger, in a stable where animals feed. It all seems to be contradictory. How is this king of kings and the Lord of lords, the greatness of who he is, how is he born in that place? We know the story, a manger and a baby wrapped in swaddling claws. And and sometimes I think we romanticize this, right? We have it in nativity scenes, maybe in our front lawn, or we have it in a play, and it looks glorious, right? But it wasn't glorious, It wasn't a glorious place to be born for a king. You would think about a palace, right? I remember visiting the Biltmore, which is this massive mansion uh, down in North Carolina. It's from one of, uh, I think it's the Carnegie uh, family. Uh, Carnegie or one of those rich guys. And, And a massive house. And this family has this tradition of being born in this one room. And it's a beautiful room. And even the one recently was born in that room of the descendant of that family. 
That's what you would think about for royalty, right? An unbelievable place or the best hospital possible, not a stable. Yet what this does is it speaks to a contrast. Listen to one commentator as he talks about this. What a tremendous contrast it must have been to them. The miraculousness of the announcement of the nativity and now the poor and humble circumstances in which they find him. The shepherds experience an angel coming down from heaven and making an announcement that rocked their world and their lives and they come to a stable and this is where he is born. The king of kings and the lord of lords humbled himself to the form of a servant to save people like you and me. And I think this reflects his, his birthplace and the way in which he was born reflects a lot of the, the way in which he would lead. He would be a humble shepherd king. Yes, we know he will come back riding upon a horse and he will be victorious and glorious when he comes again. But when he was here, he humbled himself. There was a time of humiliation before his exaltation. He humbled himself to the form of a servant being born in a stable. That's our king. Well, we not only get a beautiful picture of what the king of the kingdom is, or who it is, but we also get a glimpse at what his kingdom will be like. And that's our second point, which is a kingdom of peace. He will bring a kingdom of peace. Look back again at verse 13 and 14. And suddenly was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Now peace, peace is something that we talk about a lot during the Christmas season. We hear about it all the time. Peace on earth is a popular slogan for our Christmas cards, right? Or maybe it's the little wish of a kid on Santa's lap. Or a song that we hear, peace among men, goodwill towards men. That is what we want. Maybe it's the cry of the media that uh, at least for this month of December, can we please have peace? Stopping the latest conflict, the latest war. And yet how elusive it actually is. How hard is it to attain peace? Sometimes it seems impossible for peace to come. And even though it's something that we desire and long so much for, many of us, even as adults, have become so disillusioned with the concept of peace. We don't think it can happen. We don't think there can really be peace. We've given up on that whole thing. Peace is for kids. Maybe we haven't grown up yet and experienced the real world or experienced my neighborhood or my school or my nation. Peace is for kids who were naive. Or maybe it's for the cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies, right? That's where peace belongs, in those things. Not in the real world, not where I live. But you know what the heavenly host proclaimed that night? On this special night out in those fields, that Jesus' kingdom would bring real and lasting peace. The second half of verse 14, it's usually stated something like this. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, but this leads us to think that Jesus is bringing kind of a general peace to all mankind. It kind of reduces this 
statement and kind of gives us a watered-down version of peace at Christmas time. Oh, it's Christmas, so we should have kind of a general peace towards one another, a general goodwill towards men. Let's just set aside our differences until the new year comes, and then we can get mad at each other again. As if it's our New Year's resolution to get mad at each other again. But the better translation, I think, and understanding is what we just read. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Or as the NIV, which we originally read, it says, And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now one of the commentators, what he does is he points out that this translation emphasizes that this is God's good pleasure and God's good will given to us. It's not coming from man. This is not a goodwill or a peace that's coming from man, but it's coming from God. And this is first a peace with God and then a peace with mankind. Because remember, our first problem is what? Our first problem is a, is a, a problem with God, not with mankind. That we are sinners separated from a holy and righteous God, justly deserving his wrath and displeasure. That is our biggest problem. And so this peace is first with God, and then it's horizontally with each other. And where this peace is most felt and recognized is experienced among the people of God. Those who are Christians, those who have been bought by his blood. That is where the peace is found. Jesus' kingdom brings peace, true, real, and lasting peace. This is true. He does that. And what we long for here on this earth is peace. It will never be truly attained until we get to heaven. It is better than a momentary peace. You know, sometimes we try to find a momentary peace by turning on the TV and watching our favorite TV show. Or maybe we go and and get a glass of wine once the kids are finally down asleep and there is some peace and quiet. Or maybe it's our favorite comfort food that we go to for a little bit of peace, right? That little piece of pumpkin pie. Meatballs, Meatballs. okay. (laughs) Whatever it is, meatballs. But we go to these things, right? And they're not bad in and of themselves. But a lot of times we actually go to them apart from God. And we say, God, I don't really believe that you can give me peace in this moment. And so I'm going to go to X, Y, and Z to find peace. In and of themselves, I'm trying to find peace in these things. Momentary peace. Many times we think the right politicians or the right laws or the right ideology will bring peace. And yet, what does it do? It falls short. Listen to this quote I found when I was studying. I thought it was really powerful. It says, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. See, I think what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning is that only he can give us the peace that we so long and desire for. When we go searching for peace in these other things, they leave us empty and wanting for more. And yet when we go to Jesus, we find true and lasting peace. I want to ask a question to you this morning. Are you searching and longing for peace this Christmas? Maybe it's with an estranged adult child in which you guys haven't seen eye to eye. 
and you haven't seen him for a long time. And there is, there is an uneasiness in that relationship. Or maybe it's with your father or mother that you haven't seen for a long time, that you haven't talked to. Maybe because of a recent fight. Or maybe it's in your marriage. Or whatever else it is. Maybe it's even a particular conflict or war that is burdening you that you wish would stop. That ache in your heart, that desire for peace is good. But it will not be primarily attained through a president or a local official or by spurring on local businesses or jobs or by changing gun laws or whatever other methods that we try to employ to promote and provide peace. This peace is found primarily in a person. And that person is Jesus. This person who was born in a manger over 2,000 years ago, to whom the shepherds witnessed on that extraordinary night, his name is Jesus. His kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. I want to encourage you and and I want to preach to myself to stop running to band-aids that provide momentary peace and comfort, but soon fade away. Run to the one who can provide true and lasting peace. Run to him this Christmas. The last thing in our text that we want to bring out today is our response. How do we respond to the king of the kingdoms, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is bringing in in his kingdom of peace? How do we respond to him? Well, we're going to look at that first through how the shepherds responded. Let's look at verses 15 through 20. The shepherds, they respond to this amazing thing that happened to them. Uh, while they were on the night shift, as it were, in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, they made up their minds to go and see what they had, they had heard. And they found it exactly to be as it was told. That Jesus was born in a manger. And it's very interesting to see how these various people responded to the birth of Christ. And I want to zero in on Mary's response and the shepherd's response very briefly. So the shepherds, they had this amazing experience with the angels and the heavenly host. And they go off to the manger, like we just said, and notice what they immediately begin to do. Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. What did they do? They immediately became witnesses. They immediately became witnesses to this great event. One commentator says it this way, Just as these simple shepherds are the first persons to whom the glad tidings concerning the birth of Christ are communicated, so in turn they are the first proclaimers of the event to others. They became witnesses. They experienced something awesome and wonderful, and they couldn't hold it in. You know, when I was reading that, and studying it, it reminded me of a Peter and John in the book of Acts. When they're before the council, that's giving them just a ton of trouble. And they're telling them, stop talking about Jesus so much. It's like that Jesus freak. They're just always bringing up Jesus in every conversation. Stop talking about Jesus. Be quiet. And what do they say? They simply say this. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What do you mean, Be quiet. What do you mean be quiet? Jesus has radically transformed my entire life and you are asking me to be quiet? I can't do that. I have 
to say something. I have to speak up because this person who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago has radically transformed my life and now I have to tell the world. I got to tell everybody about this. We do that, right? We go to an awesome concert or an awesome show, a movie or something like that, and we're so jacked by what we saw. We're like, you know what? I got to go home and tell my parents, or I got to go home and tell my friends about this awesome new, you know, Batman movie or or whatever it is like that, and I got to tell you all about it. We get so excited about things like that, and yet how often when it comes to our Savior and the way that he's transformed our life, we are slow to speak up. We are slow to share that good news with our neighbor or with our our parent, our friend. But the shepherds did. The shepherd's response was to say, something amazing has happened. And something I have been waiting for my entire life. A savior born to me to save me from my sins and to radically transform my life from the inside out. So our response to Jesus this Christmas season should be no different. No different. Jesus has so radically changed our lives that we must tell the world. Now that may look different. We might tell it through our actions. We might tell it through our words. We might tell it to this person in this time and this person another time. We might tell the world. But our job, as the text says, is to be a witness. A proclaimer. That's part of our job as believers, to proclaim And secondly, notice that the other response to this wonderful event is what? It's worship. They witness and they worship. Verse 18 to 20, it highlights three people or groups and their response. Look at the text real quick as we see that. Verse 18, those who heard the shepherd's testimony, what did they do? They they wondered or it says they were amazed at what happened. Verse 19, what did Mary do? Mary treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them in her mind. It was so great that she just took it in. She just stopped and said, this is so awesome, so magnificent. This is one of those once-in-a-lifetime moments that I have to take it in. I am grasping uh, what is going on. Verse 20, the shepherds, what do they do? Well, they go back to their job, but they don't go back to their job as if nothing happened. They go back to their job glorifying and praising God. They are jacked. They are excited. They said, oh, we have experienced something unbelievable. And sure, we got to go back to work, but we are so excited about what happened. This is good news indeed. See, the proper response to experiencing Jesus the Christ is to worship and to witness or to treasure and to tell. That is the proper response for you and I today. When we truly experience Jesus for who he is, when we see him, when we read about him in the Bible, when we see him work in our lives, the proper response is to treasure it and to tell it to others. And I think this is God's heart for us. Maybe we read this story for the first time or the 1,000th time. I can't tell you how many times I have read this story from Luke 2. How many times my dad, Christmas morning, woke up and before we opened presents, we read Luke 2. How many Christmas Eve services I went to and read Luke 2. But still, I think God's heart for me once again this morning and for you is to be utterly amazed at a Savior being born in Bethlehem 
in a manger to save the world from their sin. So as we come to a close in this well-known Christmas passage, I really, my prayer as I was studying was that you and me would just have renewed eyes or maybe even new eyes to see this story through, to get it afresh and anew, to experience the glory of what happened here on that night. And really a prayer of mine is that you would have encountered Jesus Christ this morning as he spoke to you through his word. That you would now believe in him more deeply. That you would love him more holistically. That you would want to live for him more passionately and fervently because of what he did and continues to do for you and I in our lives. Remember this morning we started saying that Jesus, this baby that was born in such humble beginnings in a manger in Bethlehem, is the Savior and the bringer of peace for all who would believe in him. I want to end by reading a well-known Christmas hymn. Recently I was at the church that I grew up in and uh, the youth pastor that married us, he um, was preaching and uh, he brought up this song. And he said it's one of his favorite songs. He wished that it was sung all throughout the year and not just at Christmas time, for it was just an unbelievable truth that has rocked his world day in and day out. And that song that we know well probably is called Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts a very long time ago. And I want to read to you some of the first um, verses of it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And so we are reminded this morning that great and joyous news came hot off the press 2,000 years ago. In a small, normal, little rural town, Bethlehem, a baby was born that would be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and yet humbled himself in the form of a servant to come on a rescue mission for people like you and me, who wanted nothing to do with him, who were in rebellion to him. He humbled himself to be born of a woman, to be born as a baby in a nasty stable. But he would be exalted above everything else. He would be the king of kings and the lord of lords. The government would rest on his shoulders for all time. He is bringing and ushering in and will a perfect kingdom of peace and joy and righteousness that will never ever end. Where our sin and our sorrows would rule no more. Where only God's blessings forevermore would reign and rule. And as we close, I want to ask you one question from this hymn that we just read. And it's this. Have you prepared him room in your heart this Christmas season? Have you prepared him room? And that may mean for the first time. Have you been stiff-arming Jesus again and again and again to say, I don't, I don't want to get that close to you, Lord. I want to let you have a little bit of my life, but I'm not going to let you have it all. Or maybe it's I don't want anything to do with you. I don't even know why I'm sitting here in this church right now. 
And he is knocking on that door. Have you prepared him room this Christmas season and let him in? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus, repented of your sins, and put your faith wholly in Jesus? That's the call of this passage. That's the call of our Savior this morning as he speaks through his word to you and to me. And if you have, praise God, may you once again Get the, be just wondered and awed about what he did for you and continues to do for you and be reminded about that, this story. May you and I see Jesus along with the shepherds and Mary and Joseph this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, this is a good and timely word for us. God, even as I study this passage this, uh, this week, Um, Like I said, it's one that I just come back to uh, time and time again, and I hear all the time. And yet familiarity can be a bad thing. It can make us just skip right over it, just gloss right over it, just tune out. And I pray this morning that that wouldn't have been the case, Lord, that you would take this preached word and implant it in the hearts of us. Lord, that you would help us to think about it this week. God, that you would, as the hound of heaven, pursue us and not let us go if we are running from you. That you would open up our hearts and our eyes to see you for who you are and to believe in you and to trust you and to surrender our lives to you, the Savior, the bringer of peace. And God, if we are believing in you, I pray that you would just help us to treasure you all the more deeply. God, that you would take center stage here in our worship and our celebration of you at Christmas. God, that we would not get so caught up in everything else. That we would just see you. We would love you and we would treasure you. We would ponder the great truths of the gospel in our hearts this Christmas. Please do that inside of us, God, for our good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.